That's what you're thinking. Um, oh, I don't know what you're thinking. But anyway, I am Kathy. I am an alcoholic. Hi, Kathy. And um, Karina introduced me as, as Sister Kathy. Um, I am a Franciscan sister. Um, a lot of people, when they hear that, say, um, oh, you got sober and then became a nun. And uh, it wasn't quite that way, but anyway, we'll get to that uh, a little bit later in the story. I am really honored uh, to be here. I'm very happy to be uh, asked to come um, and uh, happy louder. Okay, louder. Happy to be here. If we can get these up a little bit, they might be closer to my mouth because, you know, we don't want to. You're going to get an echo with that one. And if there's anything, you don't want to hear it twice. <laughs> there's a little, little feedback for me there, but let's, let's just keep going and we'll keep trying. And there we go. That's better. Is that better? Can you hear me now? <laughs> there's one thing I don't want to hear me, that's for sure. Okay, well, we'll keep trying and just keep talking and... It sounds like it's gone now. Is it? Are we doing okay? Hello. Yes. Thanks. Okay. Okay. But I guess I have to keep talking if we're going to find out whether or not it's it's working. But I don't want to say anything too profound because we don't want to lose it. You know. Anyway. Um. One of the things that, that I do on a regular basis, I, I live in Tampa, Florida. I'm director of a retreat center there. It's a place where people come for um, a weekend or a day-long program. Um, I like to say to give attention to what's important in their lives. So they come and, and they might come on a Friday night and, and spend the weekend in retreat kind of just stepping back and uh, looking at their lives. And so that's kind of what I, I think of, of this. It's uh, billed as a conference, but it's kind of a spiritual conference started by this group of women um, and uh, called Hearts of Hope. And that's probably the last time I'll say the word heart with an R in it. You might have figured out I'm not from Tampa, Florida originally, and I'm not from Louisville. And I'm originally from Providence, Rhode Island, so that's what the accent is. And haven't lived there for 50 years, but you'd never know it listening to me. Are we doing better with the volume? Still, still low? Still low? Okay. It sounds like this is the microphone that's working and not this one. Okay. Get you. Okay. Um, so I am originally from Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, just so you have a sense of who it is that is um, hi there. Do you do this for a living? Or? Okay. Thank you. Oh, so down is better. Oh, I'm sorry, and I went fooling around with it. Okay, sorry about that. <clears throat> okay. Um, 
just so you have some kind of a, a sense of who is this person that's, um, you know, presuming to come in here and, and talk to us, and uh, uh, I did identify myself as an alcoholic. Um, I, um, my, my sobriety date is August 23rd, uh, 1979. Um, that's by the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And looking out there, I know most of your birthdays are after that. It really makes me feel very old, but uh, I'll, I'll get over it. Um, and I, um, I, I come from a family... Uh, Irish, Catholic, um, where there was a lot of alcoholism. I didn't know that's what it was when I was a kid. But, um, you know, everyone drank. I thought everyone's family drank that way because that's the way, you know, my family drank. And um, so I grew up around alcoholism. And I don't want to diminish the... um, the pain that, that goes with that and, and, uh, or minimize it. However, um, my uh, own experience was I knew that they were good and decent people, but they drank a lot. And, but actually, some of them were nicer when they drank. I don't know. You probably knew people like that. Uh, the, um, my dad died when I was just two, and... Um, and leaving my mother with six of us, myself being the youngest and the oldest, uh, uh, 14. And uh, so she had it pretty rough. And, and one of the ways that she dealt with that was to, um, to drink. And my mother had five brothers that lived next door or with us at times, or we were in that house. And it was kind of like the Kennedy compound Poor, you know, wasn't wasn't on Hyannisport, but you know, there were these two houses that my grandfather had built, and so we were all uh, kind of in there, and um, and so I, I knew what alcoholism uh, looked like, and um, and as I said, some of them, they, I knew that they were good people, and um, and some of them were much more pleasant when they drank than when they didn't drink. So uh, that was my image of it. I didn't have to overcome alcoholism is, you know, skid row bones. Um, When I graduated from high school, I was uh, um, telling Leslie in in the car, she asked me on the way, now don't tell me if uh, if this is part of your story, but, um, you know, how long ago did you enter the convent? And, or how old were you, or how long have you been in, I guess, is is what she said. And, um, uh, I, I entered the convent uh, three months to the day after I graduated from high school. So uh, I was uh, 17 years old, and you might say, well, how does anyone know at 17 what they want to do? Well, actually, what I wanted to do was get out of the house. I wanted to get away from home. And I could have done that going to college, but we couldn't have afforded for me to... In my, Education was real important. My mother would have wanted me to go to college. But um, the, I would have had to go to college right in Providence and stay at home. Well, then what's the point? I don't want to stay home. You know, I don't want to get out of here. So uh, now lots of people, you know, get married for that reason, or they go into the armed services, or they, um, 
have babies or, um, you know, to, to get away from alcoholic homes. And so, you know, 1961, 50 years this year, I, I can't believe it. Um, I get me, you know, get me to a nunnery and off I go to the, to the convent, 500 miles from Providence because there were places much closer, but I wanted to get away. And, uh, and the, my high school years were not uh, mocked by a lot of drinking. I'm not one of these people, and everyone's story is, is different. Um, I'm not one of these people that I remember my first drink and I was off and running and, you know, didn't ever stop. Um, I didn't drink a lot in high school. I drank a few times. And what it was, was mocked by was I could drink more than the others and not show it. And um, first sign of alcoholism, uh, high tolerance. And uh, but I, I couldn't drink at home. My God, that you know, they wouldn't. My mother wouldn't dream of the the kids drinking. But um, so I go off to the convent, and believe me, the convent was not a big drinking scene, you know, at all. And so, um, but the community I belong to uh, in our headquarters, or as my nephew likes to call it, the mothership, is in uh, Allegheny, New York. And uh, so after I was there three years in study and, you know, learning how to be a good nun, um, we went home for vacation. And so after three years, I go home for vacation. And uh, so now I'm home, and now I'm an adult. I mean, I'm wrapped up in nine yards, little really, of, uh, you know, brown and black and white and that much of my face showing in my hands. And uh, so now I'm an adult, so I can drink. And uh, so I, I started drinking right away, um, you know, with the, with the family. And <clears throat> one of the, the first times of just uh, uh, sitting there drinking with my mother, I blacked out. Um, I remember my first blackout, which sounds like an oxymoron. I remember my blackout. But um, what I remember is the next morning, uh, waking up in the back bedroom at the house and having no recollection of having gone there. Of I, I remember sitting at the dining room table playing cards and drinking 16 ounces of Narragansett beer and um, no other recollection in the next morning. Now, most people, normal people, uh, if that happened, would say, oh, my God, do I have a brain tumor? You know, I intuitively knew it had something to do with 16-ounce cans of Narragansett beer. Um, but, uh, you know, I was home for three weeks and then back to the convent and no booze, no opportunity. Um, and, and that's, uh, and so the blackout, you know, the next sign, high tolerance, blackout, um, and it, it's kind of a boring story. I can remember one time, uh, a few years back, being asked to speak at a, an anniversary for an AA group of women, and um, I said, you know, so they asked me, and I said yes, and and then after I said yes, I thought, oh, my God, why did I ever say yes to that? Um, 
you know, anniversary is a big thing, and, and my story is so boring. You know, my AA story is so boring. And oh, I was fretting, and you know, it's an honest program, so I was thinking of calling and telling them I was sick, I couldn't come, you know. And, uh, um, but then I was laying in bed the night before I was supposed to speak, and I thought, my primary purpose in going to meetings is to keep my story boring, so, um, Anyway, uh, so my, my drinking over the years um, was mocked with things like um, not being able to determine how much I would drink. Um, I didn't drink, I never got to the point that I drank every day, and, uh, but there wasn't a day I didn't think about it. And so the, the mental obsession of thinking either when can I drink again safely, that is when they won't know, whoever they were, um, or I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. Normal people don't have to do that. Um, they, they just don't have to do that. Um, normal people also, I don't know if you knew this, but <laughs> normal people don't drink things they don't like. I don't know if you knew that, but that's, that's true. And, um, for example, I don't like Dr. Pepper. I think I had one Dr. Pepper in my life, and I didn't like the taste of it. I haven't had one since. That's normal. You don't like something, you don't drink it, or you don't eat it, or whatever. I don't like rum. don't like the taste of it, but I, I drank a lot of rum because I was, um, I was stationed for five years in Jamaica in the West Indies, and so it was cheap. And... Uh, you know, so I drank a lot of rum. Another um, sign on that um, progression of the disease of alcoholism, uh, you know, people lie. Um, now, you know, you would think a good nun wouldn't be lying, um, but I did. You know, I uh, I, I remember one one time uh, I was I was principal of a school in Jamaica. And um, one of the parents gave me a bottle of Chivas Regal, uh, good scotch. And that would, you know, if I was drinking what I wanted to drink, it would be scotch. I drank whatever was around, you know, rum, uh, Tia Maria, oh God, awful stuff, and uh, lots of red striped beer. But um, if I was drinking what I wanted to drink, it would be scotch. And so for Christmas, this parent gave me a bottle of Chivas Regal. Now, I don't know why he thought that was an appropriate gift for the headmistress of this prep school, but he did. So I <clears throat> brought it home, and a friend of mine was, uh, she worked out in the, the country in Jamaica, and they came into Kingston, um, uh, that's where I lived, um, uh, about once a week, and so she came into town, stayed at our convent, and uh, so she came to my room, and I said, would you like something to drink? We've got Red Stripe out there, I said, some, probably some rum. Uh, and I just, I got this bottle of uh, scotch today. And she, oh, I'd love some scotch. Okay, so we had a couple of drinks, and <clears throat> she goes back to country, as they call it, the next day. And um, a week later, she comes back into town. So she comes to my room, and we're sitting around chatting. I said, would you like something to drink? We've got some red stripe, we've got some rum, probably have some tea and Maria. And she said, I'd love some of that scotch. And I said, oh, I, I don't have any. She, Kathy, it was just a week ago, you got a bottle of scotch. And I, 
So I said, you know, well, I gave some to Charlotte, and I gave some to, you know, so-and-so. You know, my imaginary friends had never got a drop of it, but anyway. <clears throat> and, um, oh, wow. Now, the truth of the matter is, if she had come three days later, there wouldn't have been any scotch, because I, once I got started, I didn't want to stop. Um, and now, it sounds silly, but that... that um, the lying, um, and uh, and then my my drinking also was marked with um, I lived in constant fear that they were going to find out. Now I don't know I don't mean just that I was drinking, but <clears throat> you know I I had people fooled. They really thought I was a pretty good person, you know, and, and give me a job like being uh, principal of the school, but. If they really knew um, what I was like, you know, they they wouldn't have they wouldn't have done that. And um, so I lived in constant fear that they were going to find out. Uh, and if they found out, then then you know the gig was over, whatever it was that uh, uh, that filled with with self doubt and self loathing really and self hatred. Now all the time, did I mention? I'm a nun. So, uh, I mean, I'm showing up for prayers. And so if anyone, if, you, if you're sitting there thinking, you know, if I had only prayed more, if I had listened to my grandmother and gone to church when I was supposed to, then I wouldn't have become an alcoholic. Not. Um, it has nothing to do with whether you uh, pray or don't pray, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God. If you're predisposed, disposed for the disease of alcoholism and you drink it's going to happen and um, uh, but anyway I um, but I, I figured out I knew that something was terribly wrong with me I hadn't put together anything about the drinking but uh, after a few years in Jamaica I decided that um, there was Sit down. We don't like what you're saying. It's terrible. Okay, we're going to try and fix the sound, take a break whenever you want. Okay, great. Okay. They didn't say that. They told me to take a break. They're going to try to fix the sound. Um, so I'll leave you in suspense on, on what happened. Do you want me to stop now? And then. Okay. We're just going to take a little break so we can fix the sound and you can sit there talking about me. That'd be fun. Okay. Take break. Jamaica, Yaman. Uh, <laughs> by the grace of God, um, you know, uh, drugs and um, marijuana, or as they say in Jamaica, ganja, is not is not part of my. I don't know whether you're putting thumbs up because you had good experience with ganja, or you can hear me. No, okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> you can hear me now. Wonderful. Okay, um, it, it's only by the grace of God that wasn't part of my story. If I had, you know, gone to high school a little bit later than I did, it probably would be. And uh, had I not been a nun when I was in Jamaica, it probably would be part of the story because I understand it was quite good. Um, but um, I was there in the, you know, before Bob Marley died and, you know, I'm that old and, but anyway, uh, but I knew something was very wrong, and it was that uh, uh, I wasn't good enough. Um, 
and, and so I'm, I'm kind of bright, and so I figured out what, what was really wrong was that I wasn't praying enough. Did I mention I was a nun? Uh, and I was, I was at prayers every morning. I was at mass every day. I was doing good holy reading and, you know, uh, all the good stuff I was supposed to be doing. Um, but, uh, I, I thought that's what's wrong. I'm not praying enough. And, and I also wasn't very happy in Jamaica. And so I came back to the States. And um, I asked for a time at uh, our mother house, as we call it. And as I said, my nephew calls it the mothership. <laughs> you go into the mothership, aren't you, Kathy? Um, but um, I asked for some time there just for prayer and uh, to be quiet and to really reflect on my life and get my act together. And so I spent four months in, uh, in this uh, quiet place and didn't drink um, now, I didn't go thinking, I'm not going to drink. It's just that there wasn't a lot available, except twice. And one time, I, I don't know, they had beer and pizzas one night, and I had some, and I didn't have this overwhelming urge to go steal a car and go down to downtown Olean and rob a liquor store. Um, it was, I had a couple of beers, and that was it. And then the other time... Um, a friend came in from New York, and there were a few of us uh, from the same group, and we got together with a great big bottle of some kind of wine that we weren't boycotting at the time. Some screw-top thing. It wasn't real good. Uh, you know, a big gallon jug of it. And the other two didn't drink much, but we finished that bottle that night. And I proceeded to redecorate the hall, you know, throwing up and... Uh, lovely scene and my very dear friend who is still a very dear friend and who is praying for all of us this weekend um, was walking beside me cleaning up after me and saying Kathy it must have been the cheese and I was like you're damn right it's the cheese it's that cheap stuff you people get up here government surplus or something Um, now that sounds like a silk but it's indicative of the unpredictability I could not, that was another sign of of alcoholism in my drinking, was I couldn't predict what was going to happen. Uh, Sometimes I could have a couple of drinks, and that's all I intended, Uh, not without a lot of effort. This is all I'm going to drink, this is all I'm going to drink, but normal people don't have to do that. And, um, And then other times, once I got started, I couldn't stop until I passed out or blacked out or whatever. Um... So this, uh, so I, four months, the only, only twice, that wasn't a big problem. And then uh, after that time was up, I, I uh, was assigned to a school in uh, Utica, New York, uh, as principal again. And as soon as I got there, I, my drinking started again. Uh, well, I, I went to Rhode Island to visit the family before I, um, I, I went to New York. And... Um, uh, you know, started drinking again the same same way and and being determined now, you know, I've had those four months that I haven't, uh, I haven't, it hasn't been that bad. Now I just have to get a handle on this. And I couldn't get a handle on it. So, you know, we went to, that would have been the um, January of 78. Went from Kingston, Jamaica to Utica, New York in 78 with all the, 
snowstorms and blizzards, and it was delightful. I thought someone put me in a snow globe and kept turning it, you know. Every time I looked out the window, it was coming down. Um, so uh, the, the drinking kept up. Uh, and as I said before, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about it. I was trying to control it. I was trying to. And the summer of 1979, a couple of things came together. Um, a friend of mine um, was, uh, was in treatment for alcoholism. Uh, it was a, a priest in the parish. It was like his fifth time in, in, uh, uh, in treatment. And so I, you know, I'm going to help. Uh, so I'll learn all I can. So I started reading and, um, you know, actually my brother was in AA at the time. He had given me a 12 and 12. <laughs> I don't know why he thought that was an appropriate gift for me, but anyway. Um, and so I'm reading that. I'm thinking, God, this is, this couldn't be. And so I went to some films. I don't know if you've uh, seen some of those Father Martin films, uh, Chalk Talks and Guidelines. And, and, and so I thought, well, he's crazy. I mean, that's, you know, that's how I drink. That couldn't be alcoholism. And, um, uh, but those things started coming together. And then um, I had a blackout that um, was, um, was not that different from any other blackout, except that most of my drinking I did by myself. Or with family, because they wouldn't notice, because they were all drinking the same way I was. But uh, So I did it at the convent. I might have a beer with, uh, there was an old German sister that lived with me, and we'd play cards and, and have a beer. And, uh, and then when she went to bed, I would, you know, continue. And, and, and I had rules for myself. Like, I wouldn't keep any booze in my room, except that bottle of scotch, because that was too good to put in the community room they would have mixed it with ginger ale they had no taste yeah. and um, but I wouldn't keep it in my room because and you'll follow the logic I had been hearing about these nuns who were alcoholic and they kept booze in their rooms so alcoholic nuns keep booze in their rooms keep their liquor in their rooms I do not keep liquor in my room therefore I mean I went to college I, I took logic therefore I am not an alcoholic. You know, um, <clears throat> you know the, the drill. But uh, this one night, I, um, uh, I went to a friend's house. And uh, uh, when I went in, she said, would you like something to drink? And I said, yes, only one. And if I ask for a second, don't give it to me. Normal people don't do that. But anyway, just one. Give me another one. So I had the one, and of course I asked for a second, and of course she gave it to me. I don't remember anything after that. And I woke up the next day in my room at the convent, which was just a, a couple of blocks away from where the friend lived, had vomited through the night, uh, had uh, wet myself, uh, you know, the whole thing of just the disgusting thing. And, and people die, you know, vomiting in their sleep. I didn't wake up, I vomited, and it scared the life out of me. I had no idea how I got home. I called her up and, you know, just kind of fielded a few questions, and, um, uh, and she said, well, you, you walked home. You, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, like, what happened? And she said, nothing happened. She said, you didn't, you had a second drink, but you didn't even finish it. 
decreased tolerance, and um, uh, and you 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 walked home. You you were you know making sense. You were walking okay, and I had no recollection. And some re- for some reason that got to me. That scared me more than uh, other blackouts. So I I made a couple of phone calls for help, and it was August and the. The folks that I called were on vacation, and so I thought, well, I've done, you know, I tried. And um, I was going to Providence anyway, so I went to Providence. I'm not going to drink. And, and I didn't except twice. And, um, and it was just a couple of beers. Uh, I went out for uh, clams with my sister, and I thought I was constitutionally incapable of eating clams without drinking beer. I didn't know you could do that. And so I had a couple of beers, but it was only a couple of beers. So when I came, I was coming back, driving back to Utica from uh, from Providence, and I was on Route 95 leaving Providence. And I was thinking about everything that was going on in my life, and my mother was in some kind of senile dementia, organic brain syndrome, not sure what, uh, at the time, and I was a wreck over what we were going to do with her. Now, I'm the youngest of six, but it's got to be, oh, I've got to take care of it, you know. And... Um, and she was still living by herself at the time. And um, I wasn't getting along with the pastor at, at, the, at the school. And um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do about that. Um, a couple of teachers had just resigned because they had gotten good jobs that were going to pay them in the public school system. And so they took those jobs, which, you know, happens every August in Catholic schools. And... Um, I didn't know what I was going to do about that. Was I going to have to teach myself? And I, oh, I was a wreck. I couldn't cope with anything. And, um, and I knew something was terribly wrong with me. So I'm driving out of, out of Providence uh, with all these things going on in my head. And relationships were bad. And everything was, everything was awful. And so I'm trying to figure out how to drive the car um, off 95 into an overpass or embankment without taking anyone else out and have it look like an accident. You know, I don't want the headlines to say none commit suicide, you know, takes family of five on their way to church out with her. Uh, so I, uh, I'm trying to figure this out, how I'm going to do this. And it was like, there's something terribly wrong with, with the way you're thinking. And, um, I, I called out to God for help, and um, and what came to me, it wasn't a voice saying, Kathy, do this, but it was, um, I just knew, follow through on the phone calls I had made before I left Utica, and one of them was to someone that I knew was an alcoholic, and um, so I, I did, I when I got back to Utica, I, I fought, and I said yes. I said, okay, that's what I'll do. And a certain peace came over me. Not everything was wonderful kind of peace, but enough that I wasn't, you know, driving the car off 95. So when I got back to Utica, I made the phone call, went to talk to someone. And um, uh, by this time, though, I'd had a whole week since the blackout. So I've convinced myself it's really not. It's not the booze. It's everything else in my life. So I went to tell them everything that was going on, my mother and pastor and relationships and, and everything else. But I mentioned, you know, drinking every now and then. And uh, so he said to me, well, 
you came to me. He said, I don't even know you. He said, you came to me because I'm a recovering alcoholic. I think you might be concerned about your drinking. And I said, uh, I am scared stiff. I'm an alcoholic. And he said to me, you have no idea what a grace that is. And what I said in response, you're not supposed to study from podiums at uh, AA meetings, so I won't say it here, but I told him what I thought of that. What a grace that is. Um, and uh, it, it didn't take me long to realize what he meant, that just breaking through the denial enough to be afraid that that's what it could be. He said, well, I don't know. I don't know you. Let's see. And he started asking the questions, you know. Any in the family? <laughs> Royal bloodline. Um, any blackouts? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, drinking more than you intend to drink? Well, yeah, that happens. Uh, unpredictability? Uh, yeah. Lose a job? Nope, never lost a job. Never lost it. Well, nuns don't lose jobs, you know. I guess. Thanks. All, they'll find something for you to do. Um, uh, you know, I had never, and, and so, you know, when he said that, I kind of got it. It was like, he said, Kathy, you're drinking the way you're drinking because you can't not drink that way. You're an alcoholic. That's, that's what it is. You, if you could control it, you would be controlling it. You don't want it to be like this. If you, if you could do it, you would. And, um, and, and by the grace of God, I believed him that night. I believed him. But then I said to him, I'm afraid you're going to tell me I have to go to AA. And he said, I'm not going to tell you you have to do anything. I don't care what you do. He said, but you can't do it alone. And I said, well, I know. I can't do it alone. I'll pray. No. <laughs> um, but happily, uh, he he said, well, give it a try. And he, I went to a meeting that he was the speaker at, uh, Right after that, and I thought, ooh, thank God there's a place like this for people like him, you know. And, um, and I went to some meetings, and, and, and I sat there saying, well, I wasn't that bad, you know. I didn't get a DUI. I haven't been to jail. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Um, so it wasn't that. But I had to remember, what was it like, you know. Do you want to go back to driving on 95 and trying to figure out a way to kill yourself? Do you want to be sitting there saying, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, and then doing it anyway and being, feeling and being filled with self-disgust and so forth? Um, I'm not someone that walked into AA and said, oh, thank God I'm home. It was like, oh. What am I doing here? I hate it. I hate these people. Uh, they were so nice, you know. They were just so nice to me. And I didn't want them to be nice to me because I didn't want them to know me because I was sure if they knew me, they weren't, really weren't going to like me. Uh, but I, I kept going. I kept going. And I listened to people and I, uh, I got a sponsor got to do that for and 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 then when I started reading the steps I thought well I've done that done that done that you know uh, made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God it's like poverty chastity obedience all the days of my life I took the vows in 69 you know it's like come on you know I've done that but uh 
I don't need to. And then, you know, the fourth and fifth step, you know, it's like confession, you know. Like, I've been there, you know. I've gone more than the average beer. Um, so, and I kept saying that to my sponsor. I thought, I don't know how this is any different. You know, the, when talked about the fourth and fifth, I don't know how that's any different from confession, and I've done that all my life. And, you know, that didn't keep me from drinking. And she would just say, you know, Kathy, don't drink. Come to meetings. Ask for help. Listen, and when it's time, you'll know. And I'd be all right for a little bit with with that, and then <laughs> just um. So I I went and uh, the you know admitting powerlessness powerlessness over alcohol um, came quickly. It was like oh, that's what it is. I'm drinking the way I'm drinking because I'm powerless. Once I start. I, I don't know when I'm going to stop. And, and it wasn't like every day. And it wasn't like every time I drank it got bad. But it was getting closer together. And, and, and the reason I didn't drink every day was mostly lack of opportunity. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I didn't want to. Um, or just trying to control it. So the, the powerlessness, the unmanageability, it was like I knew on the outside it looked good. I was principal of a school. People thought I was doing a good job. And, and all the time I'm thinking, if you only knew, if you only knew. Um, the unmanageability for me was on the inside. Probably wouldn't have taken much longer for it to get on the outside as well. But it was mostly on the inside. And... Uh, so then, you know, it came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. My, my brother was in the program when I came in. He lived in South Africa, so he wasn't around. And he, he came back to the States around Christmas time that year. And I didn't see him, but I talked to him on the phone and told him what was going on. And um, uh, he said, so how are you doing then? And I said, uh, well, I'm having trouble with the second step came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us sanity. He said, Kathy, you might be in the wrong line of work, you know? (laughs) I said, oh, no, 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 no. I know that God could restore me to sanity were that necessary. But I didn't think I was insane. You know, I wasn't at Mossy State Hospital, which was the insane hospital for, um, you know, I wasn't insane. And he, he took on that voice at older brothers. Bill was um, uh, 11 years older than me. So he took on that voice, you know, and he said, Kathy, did you drink? And I said, yes, Bill, that's what we're talking about. I drank. Kathy, did drinking cause you problems? And I said, yes, drinking caused me problems. That's why I went to AA. Yes, drinking caused me problems. Kathy. Did you continue to drink even though drinking caused you problems? And I said, yeah, I did. Kathy, that is insane. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that is insanity, isn't it? You know? And then when I looked at some of the stuff I did, it was just insane. So, um, believing that a power greater than me, that it wasn't going to be me that did it. The third step, uh, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 
Um, you know, again, I felt, well, I did that. Poverty, chastity, obedience, all the days of my life. Um, but it was like the way God wanted it to be, not the way I wanted it to be. I mean, I had a good idea what, what I was going to be like and, and how things were going to be as a Franciscan sister. Believe me, it did not include being in Madison, Indiana, in a correctional facility, talking about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 50 years in the convent. I, that wasn't part of the plan, believe me. Um, and so Alcoholics Anonymous taught me that it's God's will, not mine. It's, it's going to be the way God wants it to be. Not the way I want it to be. I thought I had my life mapped out pretty well. You know, I, uh, I can remember the first time I, I shared with my sisters, and, and it was an auditorium, not all that different from this, uh, at our mother house in, in Allegheny, New York, and I revealed, uh, we were having a workshop on alcoholism, and I, I let the sisters know that I was, at that time, I don't know, three or four years sober. And... Uh, and I was standing in front of that auditorium. In my mind, if I ever was going to be standing in the front of that auditorium, it would have been giving a good talk on the ministry of administration or, you know, how to be a good Franciscan educator or something like that. It wasn't going to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so it was God's will, not mine. And that's, uh, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous taught me, that... You know, just to be open to how God wants things to be, not your great plan of how things are going to be. And as I mentioned, the fourth and fifth step, it's like, oh, well, I got that one down good. But it was taking that searching and fearless moral inventory of really being honest with myself, with God, and then another human being. You know, to have to say that out loud to another human being. Uh, and so I did it. I didn't, I, you know, everyone, thank God there's not one certain way you have to do the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, for me, it wasn't, I didn't snap through them. It was, it was almost a year before I did my fourth and fifth step, not recommending it if that's what someone, if your sponsor is telling you to do it sooner. Uh, but that's how it was for me. And when I did it, it was like, okay, it wasn't the big fireworks, and isn't that wonderful? It was like I did something I was told to do, didn't understand why, didn't know how this was going to be different, but I did it. The greatest relief for me, the greatest wow <laughs> for me came with steps six and seven, because I really believed that there was something wrong with Kathy Cahill. I had to fix it. Damn it, I'll fix it. And, um, you know, I'll do the right thing or I'll read the right book and figure out how to fix it. And this step six, as you know, is we were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. It's like, wow, that it's God's work, that God's going to remove the things that kept me drinking. God will remove that. Step seven, we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And some people say, well, what's the difference between a character defect and a shortcoming? And someone finally asked Bill Wilson one time, and he said, it's the same thing. I just didn't want to be redundant, and so I used a different word. So we're just talking about that stuff that kept, kept us drinking, that God will remove them. And we have to ask God to remove We're entirely ready 
So we have to be ready to let them go. And if we're not ready, we can pray for readiness. And then ask God to remove them. And the the prayers that uh, the prayer that goes with that. Um, now I've been you know I've been praying for a number of years. I was uh, entered the comet in 1961, came into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1979. So that's 18 years that I was in the comet. So I'd, I'd, I'd said a few prayers in my life. You know what I mean? Um, but the the prayers well, the third step prayer where we pray. Um, if I start it, I can keep going, but I can't get the first word. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties at victory over them. May be a witness to those I would help of your power, your love, your way of life. May I do your will always. So that prayer of, you know, giving it all to God why? So I can be comfortable? Well, that's what I'd like. But, but no, so that I can be of use to other people. Relieve me of the bondage of self so that I better do your will. So uh, when we get to the seven-step prayer, the seven-step prayer really was an eye-opener for me because it says, My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me the good and the bad. Everything I see is good about myself and everything I see is bad about myself. So that's the prayer. I'm now willing you to have all of me, the good and the bad. Remove from me every single defective character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to others. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. So that's the prayer. Now, if I were writing that prayer, what I would like removed, remove from me every single defective character that makes me look bad. That's what I want removed. Remove from me every single defective character that makes me uncomfortable. That's what I want removed. But the simple wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous says no. We pray that God remove every single defect of character that stands in the way of our usefulness to God or to others. And then we ask strength. So if we ask that our character defects are removed and, you know, are willing to let them go and willing to, you know, behave differently and we still find them popping up their ugly heads... I hate to hear people say, well, I'm going to work on that. Don't. If I work on it, if, I, if, I am, if my character defect is dishonesty and I work on it, I'll lie about it. You know? If my character defect is self-pity and I work on it, I will feel sorry for myself. You know? If my character defect is lust and I work on it, well, we won't even bother going there. So, it's like... We are not supposed to work on it. We're supposed to be entirely ready to have God remove them, and then we get on with life. And my experience has been that God um, removes them by just the, the stuff of my life. And, and maybe some stuff is, is left there. The, one, of my, one of my character defects is, uh, one of my many, but anyway, we'll, we won't go into all of them, uh, is procrastination. 
and I'm going to stop working on it as soon as I get back to Tampa. But, <clears throat> you know, I put things off. I put things off. And back in the, and this is, you know, quite a while ago, this particular thing happened. But it, it's so, it's such a good illustration for me of how God works and uh, can use our defects of character. I moved from Chicago. I was work, uh, studying in Chicago, studying alcoholism, counseling. And um, I moved to Tampa to work in a treatment center there. And <clears throat> I made a list of everything that I needed to do. I moved in February, and I made a list of things I was going to do in March. And so it was, some of the things on the list was get a library card, uh, get a Florida driver's license, and register to vote. Worthy, you know, good citizen kind of things. So in May, I was walking through uh, a mall, and there was a voter registration booth. So I go over to the voter registration booth, and I say, I'd like to register to vote. This is May. I was going to do it in March, but hey, you know, don't want to rush into things. So she said, all right, could I, could I see your driver's license? I said, um, well, I have a New York driver's license. Did I mention I had moved from Chicago? I mean, I hadn't even gotten one there, you know. Just Anyway, <clears throat> I said, well, I have a New York driver's license. No, I can't use that. Uh, do you have a library card? I thought, this lady's looking at my list of things to do. And I said, no, I don't, actually. She said, well, that's, that's okay. Do you have something that's, that you've gotten in the mail at your current address? And, um, oh, okay, so I go through my bag, nothing there. I said, I have a business card. I said, you know, I, I work two and a half miles from where I live. Same, uh, no, maybe it wasn't the same zip code, but I live. Uh, why would I lie about living in Hillsborough County? Now, she knew I was from Rhode Island. They're, they vote early and often there, and, you know, you might. But... I said, you know, why would I register to vote if I didn't live here? I, I live here. I just live a couple miles from here. So I gave her my business card. So, okay, fine. So she registers me to vote. All right. October. I'm sitting in my office at the treatment center where I was working, and um, I get a phone call. And the woman says, um, you don't know me, but I registered you to vote at West Shore Mall uh, last spring. And I said, oh, I remember it well. <laughs> and she said, well, I think I have a drinking problem. And I noticed that you're an alcoholism counselor. And I thought I could talk to her about that. And she probably thought, this idiot, you know. She's <laughs> standing there doing this little dance about why I didn't have a driver's license and a library card. Um, and so she came in and she, she talked and I got in trouble because I didn't recommend treatment, but she was highly motivated and she had friends who would take her to meetings. So my character defect of procrastination obviously was of use to her because I was there. Now I'm not saying that God couldn't use, you know, someone else at another time, but it, it was a good illustration to me of the thing that I think is so annoying and makes me look bad and feel bad. It's like God can use whatever is going on in our lives to help other people. If, if God waited till we were all perfect before we could help others, you know, where would we be? And you know that. You know how you are with each other. You're very helpful to some. Some you're not so helpful to. Um, but, but some people you're helpful to. And, and uh, 
so the, the wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous says we pray to have removed from us the things that stand in the way of our being useful to God and to other people. Um, so, you know, I paid attention to that and worked with my sponsor. And, you know, she said, it's not up to you to decide what those defects of character are. You know, just be ready to let go. Be ready to let go. And, um, it, I mean, some of the things showed up glaringly in four and five. Be willing to let them go. And then you work on what's going to take its place. If it's dishonesty, make a commitment every day to be honest. Excuse me. The steps uh, eight and nine made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Well, I was like, I'm not going to make amends to her. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Oh. Kathy, make a list. Make a list. That's the only thing you have to do right now, is what my sponsor said, is make the list. You don't have to become willing to make amends to people. You don't have to make amends to them. But you have to make the list. Who are the people that you have harmed by your drinking? Make that list. And some of it showed up in four and five. Um, and then it was like, well, now I was a little bit clearer. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. Um, so it was important to make the list. Then, after the list, become willing to make amends to them all. And what I tell people is if you're not willing to make amends to someone, just pray for the willingness and put it aside. Talk to your sponsor. Most important thing is that you have a sponsor and you're talking to her. Her. Um, and so, you know, I started doing that and making amends. I believe the best amends that we make is we don't do the behavior. We don't keep up the behavior. We change our behavior. Uh, certainly, when I was drinking, the kids in that school probably never saw me drunk because I was real careful about that. But they, they were harmed by my... I mean, they didn't know if they got sent to me whether they were going to meet this very kind, understanding person or if they're going to meet this screaming Mimi, you know. Uh, now, I am not. If you went to Catholic schools, I apologize for any uh, pain you suffered because of the nuns. <laughs> and how many here went to Catholic schools before? Oh, my God. Okay. I am very sorry if you had a bad experience. I didn't teach you unless you, you know, right, went to school in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Well, you're all too young for me to have taught you anyway. But um, the um, but they, the kids were harmed by, they, they didn't know what they were going to meet. Was I going to be this understanding person or was I going to be this, you know, very stern, very, you know, going to shape everybody up and be, or miserable person? And they didn't know. Well, I wasn't going to go into school and, you know, go on the PA and say, good morning, boys and girls. This is Sister Catherine. I want to make amends, you know, for when I was drinking. Um, but the amends was that um, I, I wasn't the same way. That's the, the big amends. And then there were people that I had to go to and had to say, not just I'm sorry, but what can I do to, to make that better? Um, I'm going to leave that. My head is 
spinning um, on that whole thing of making amends. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on in the weekend. Um, the biggest help to me today, now I'm, I'm uh, 31 years sober by the grace of God, the biggest help to me and the biggest challenge to me is steps 10 and 11. Because step 10 says we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong. <laughs> no, it doesn't say if. <laughs> it's a given. We're going to be wrong. Um, when we were wrong, promptly admit it. But step 10 is, uh, you know, when I first saw that, I thought, oh, you know, I've been doing this all my life, too. We're supposed to do an examination of conscience every night in the convent. You know, what did I do wrong today? You know, and... Um, but it's so much more than that. It is so much more than that. For me today, step 10 is just looking at my life. What's giving me life today? What's draining me of life today? And in those two questions, now I also do it according to the book, and I, I couldn't find my, I do have a small big book. Honey, I shrunk the big book in my suitcase, but I couldn't find it when I was getting the, the stuff out. Um, I do do it according to page 80, whatever it is, 86, you know, uh, and there's a very good outline for doing a 10th step. But I don't do it that way all the time. Don't tell my home group that because we've got a big book guy that, you know, this is the only way to do the 10th step. Uh, but but I kind of look at my day and say, what what was life giving? What What was good today? What was life draining what sucked me of life today? And I'll get at the stuff I need to stop doing that way. Or the people I need to stay away from um, if I do that. And for me, it's important, you know, we kind of lump steps four and five together or steps six and seven together or steps eight and nine together. I think the two that belong together uh, more than any of the others are 10 and 11. Because... We need to look at our day. We need to do that personal inventory and go to God with it and say, this is what I'm like today. Help. Or, uh, or this, is, this is what was good today. Thank you. Um, so for me, it's, it's um, putting, the two, putting those two together. And the rest of the weekend, we're going to be talking a lot about step 11 and all the steps, 3 and 11. But the prayer meditation of, of what's, what's, that, uh, what's that like? And, and you know, it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science, you know. Uh, some people say to me, well, I don't, I don't know how to pray. Well, actually, if you know how to talk or if you know how to think, you know how to pray. And I certainly don't know how to meditate. I can't meditate. If you can worry, you can meditate. <laughs> it's just thinking about the same thing over and over and over, you know. So you, you all, you know, we, we, we all could do It's not a big deal. And God wants us to go as we are, just as we are. And what else have we got? So those two steps, um, and, you know, certainly I had prayed and meditated long before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. But again, it's like, uh, 
And, 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 you know, I don't mean to diminish the power of the prayer or the goodness of whatever you want to call it. I mean, this is, I don't think there's such a thing as a bad prayer, by the way. So kind of, how can you have a bad prayer, you know? Um, and I think the answer to my prayer was very simply, Kathy, you're too alcoholics anonymous. <laughs> that was the answer. I was like, no, I'd rather do it this way. Go to AA. But, 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 go to AA. Um, and so when I stopped fighting that, it was much better. And so when we seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, again, the wisdom of that, that we, we seek through prayer and meditation, we pray and we meditate to improve we don't have to try to get conscious contact with God. We try to improve it because we've been conscious of that contact in working all the other steps. Conscious contact with God. The contact with God is there whether we're conscious of it or not. So we don't have to try to get it because God is in contact with us. Now, you might say, well, that's okay for you because you're a nun and uh, you believe that stuff. But whatever our concept of God, and, and if there's 200 of us in this room, there's 200 different understandings, if you will, of God or ways of approaching God. But I think every one of us could agree on this, that there is some power greater than ourselves, who gives us life and breath. Because we can't manufacture that ourselves. We, we didn't bring ourselves into being. We are not the power that keeps us breathing right now. That's a power greater than ourselves that gives us breath. The sake of common language, we'll call it God. So, if you want to be conscious of God's contact with you, because that's what it is. Your very breath is God's contact with you. That power greater than ourselves that gives us life and breath. All you have to do is pay attention to your breathing. And the Buddhists know that. Power greater than me is giving me the ability to breathe. So, and, and it's interesting, the Latin word for breath is spiritus, spirit. So, when we have, when we breathe, we have God's spirit in us. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that the word we have for alcohol is spirits. You know, you go to a restaurant, fine wine and spirits, of course. I, I firmly believe that all addiction, all addiction, and alcohol, 
here because people in Alcoholics Anonymous invited me, so we'll stay with that one. But all addictions, we are looking for God and knocking on the wrong doors. Really believe that. That, that we're looking for a power greater than ourselves. We're looking for an experience outside this limited human experience. And the first time that we, we drink, or maybe the second or third, it's like, oh, it takes us there. Oh, this is better. And then we spend the rest of our drinking trying to get back to that. And it's the same the first time we use, or it, people are addicted to a lot of different things. We're looking for God, and we're going to the wrong doors. So the simple wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous says, use prayer and meditation to become conscious of God's contact with you. That's not how the step is worded, but that's what it means to improve our conscious contact with God. Because the contact is there all the time, we're just not conscious of it. If we were conscious of it every minute of the day, we probably wouldn't get a darn thing done. Could we be sitting there going, oh, isn't this wonderful, you know? But we, we use prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And just to round up my own experience with, with the steps when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, um, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, I, I love it when people say, well, AA is okay, but I don't like the spiritual part. It's like, what would the other part be? I, don't know, I really don't know, because it's like, you know, things that are spiritual, it's just there's something else going on other than what meets the eye. <laughs> that's what spirituality is, or that's what spiritual is. That there's something that we're not seeing, but it's happening. And so... Because we do all these things, because we admit powerlessness and unmanageability, because we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, because we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, because we're willing to take a searching and fearless moral inventory, share it with another person, because we're willing to let go of our character defects and ask God to do it, because we're willing to make lists and then make amends, because we continue to uh, take personal inventory, because we pray and meditate, we have a spiritual awakening. We're awake. Now, for some people, it's like really a big deal, and it's like, you know, for Bill Wilson, it was a flash of of um, insight. It was a, a real... Uh, experience of God, it was the light filling the room. Most of us don't get that. You know, probably Bill wouldn't have stuck with it if he didn't have something like that. Most of us don't get that. But we become more awake. Uh, it, the educational variety is referred to in the big book. We, we just keep waking up. And certainly for me that was true. It was like, oh, yeah, it's Things are better than I thought. I don't have to be driving a car off the side of the road to uh, get rid of my problems. There are other ways of dealing with it. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, what do we do? Sit around and pat each other on the back and say, isn't that wonderful? No. We try to carry this message to other alcoholics. And to practice these principles in all 
I'd rather just practice them like where I want to, you know, <laughs> especially in the rooms, you know, or, you know, like this at the podium. And <laughs> this is, you know, but it's all my affairs. It means when I walk back into the convent and people annoy me. I don't know if you realize it, but when a bunch of women live together, they can get annoying. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> yeah. You know, same, same circus, different clowns. It's, it's <laughs> so it's like all my affairs. It's then. It's everything I do. I need to practice these principles. What are the principles? Well, this honesty, this, this um, humility that says, you know, I'm, I'm powerless, you know, to practice that in, in all my affairs. Um, so it's not, you know, I, people say it's a selfish program. And I, I guess I know what they mean. They mean that, you know, you have to take care of yourself and all that kind of stuff. And we do. But it's a program that goes out to others. It's not to keep for myself. That's why you have these women in Hanover. Is that, is that the name of the town that started this thing? That, that started this um, Hearts, I can say it, hearts of hope that, that wanted to bring meetings in, in here, that want to, you know, have uh, a weekend like this, a conference like this, that, so that they don't keep what they've gotten for themselves that they want to give it out. It's what has you having meetings for each other. That, uh, you know, someone takes responsibility for starting the meeting. Someone takes responsibility for sponsoring someone else. Because it is about going out to others. And, and that's, that's, that's why it works. So that's, that's who you got here um, talking to you. Um, you know, not, um, not a real exciting uh, drunkalog, but uh, I, I, I plan to keep coming back so that it doesn't get any more exciting than, than what it was. What I'd like to invite you to do this this weekend, I mean, we have from now until Sunday to just make it a different time for yourself. And um, well, this is you know, this is this is different. It be, can be kind of like a, a little uh, retreat uh, almost. Um, that um, and what what I I uh, suggested to Karina when I was uh, corresponding with her. Um, Oh, it must be a year ago, I guess, when, when I was first asked to come here. And she said, you know, do you have, like, a topic? I said, well, I'd like to take that prayer that's found in the 12 and 12. Are you familiar with that? In, in, when it writes about step 11 in the, the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, it has a prayer uh, that um, is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, who is, uh, you know, patron of uh, Franciscans. Uh, Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Are you familiar with it? No? Yeah? Well, whatever. You will be by the time the weekend's over. Uh, and, um, and I said, uh, I said to her, um, I'd like the topic to be being made instruments of God's peace. And, uh, Karina responded back to me, so I like that, being an instrument of peace. And I, I said, no, it's being made an instrument of peace. Because, and, and I, I don't mean to you know, be correcting it, but it's real important to me that it's not, I'm not going to be an instrument of peace or a channel. That's the word in the 12 and 12 is channel. 
that's not going to happen um, because I make myself. But it's God who, who does the work. Um, and so, <clears throat> let me just pass these out. do it all the time. I give it away and, and forget that I forget to take one for myself. But as it's being passed out, it, it's um, the prayer is, Lord, make me a channel of your peace. And what we're saying is, it's important to remember it's a prayer. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. Um, one of the best lessons I ever got on prayer was at an AA meeting when I said uh, to someone, uh, they were talking about accepting God's will and they were um, talking about the serenity prayer. And I was only a couple months uh, sober and going to meeting. And I said to them, I don't... I don't know what you people are talking about. I've been hearing about accepting God's will all my life. People held up to me as models of accepting God's will. And uh, beginning with my mother, you know, she lost um, my dad when uh, he was 37. She was 42, although she never admitted to a five-year difference in their age, but that's Irish. Um, Thank you. I was rationing it for myself. Uh, you know, it was it was tough bringing up six kids on welfare, and and um, and she was held up as a model of accepting God's will. And she drank, you know. So it was like, what's this accepting God's will? And then in the convent, there were all sorts of people held up as models of accepting God's will. And, you know, we, I belonged to a community that we had 11 hospitals at the time I entered. So some people got to know the sisters through the hospitals. They worked in the hospitals and so forth, so they entered. We also had, I think at that time, 72 schools. So obviously we needed more teachers than nurses or hospital workers. So some people came in thinking, oh, I'm going I'm to be a nurse or I'm going to work in the hospital, and then got told, oh, no, we need teachers this year. Go to teacher's college, and you'll be a teacher. Or get put in the classroom even before they went to college. And they were held up as models. They accepted God's will. And they were miserable. Maybe you had some of them in school. Um, they, uh, they were miserable. They were terrible teachers. They never should have been teachers. And so I was like, what is this accepting God's will kind of thing? And then the serenity prayer, it's like, you know, um, I, I just don't get it. And in this man, our, my home group was kind of like the beginning of a bad joke because he was an agnostic 
and we also had an atheist in the group. So, you know, the bad joke could be there was a nun, an atheist, and an agnostic that walked into the bar or something, you know. But anyway, this agnostic, uh, this night that I was saying, I don't know what you people are talking about, said, Kathy, I'm kind of embarrassed to be talking to you about prayer, but you obviously don't know what it is. And I didn't say anything, but I thought, don't you know who I am? And he did. He was my sponsor's husband, actually. And um, he said, it's a prayer, Kathy. You do not have serenity to accept what you can't change. You don't have courage to change what you can. And it's quite obvious you don't have wisdom to know one from the other. I think he could have skipped that, but anyway, he said it. And so you need to pray for it. You need to ask for it. And it was like, and that's prayer. That sounds so obvious. But I really think, not consciously, but I was praying like I should have serenity. And I should have courage. And I should have wisdom. And it's like, no, it's a prayer. You ask for it. And, and then he went on to say, he'd been, in, he'd been sober 18 years at the time. He said, I've been around a while. And I don't know anyone that's gotten the lifetime supply. So I suggest you ask for it on a daily basis. Okay. <laughs> so it's the same with this, with this prayer. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. That we're asking God that we can be channels but it's god's work not ours and we're asking that that we be a channel of peace or the other wording of it is an instrument of god's peace so if i say the word channel to you what comes to mind tv a tv channel radio english channel you know and but a channel is something that brings things from one place to another. A, a channel, uh, the TV channel that, you know, in some studio someplace, this, this program's being broadcast, and the channel brings it into your television. Or if it's the radio, the channel brings it to you. It's not the thing itself. It's not the program. It's what brings it to you. Instrument, the same way. If I say instrument, what comes to mind? A musical instrument, a piano, guitar, clarinet, or it could be, um, uh, if you're medically inclined, it could be a scalpel or, you know, an instrument. It's something that you do something with. It's not, and it has to be in the right hands. You put a scalpel in my hand and look out, you know. Uh, you can have a marvelous um, uh, violin. Stradivarius, it's the best violin going. And you could bring it up here, and it's, it's the most valuable violin, I guess, made. I don't know. And you hand it to me, and it wouldn't be pretty. No. I don't know how.